Hey, it's Keith. It's been a while since I've recorded myself thinking out loud, which is kind of funny timing-wise because it's the spring of 2020 and like everybody, I'm just at home doing basically nothing. So it's a funny time for me to kind of go off podcasting and I guess it makes sense for me to get back into it. It's the times of coronavirus. I had recorded a few takes on my hot take of COVID-19 slash 2020, and I just haven't decided, I hadn't wanted to publish those because I didn't feel like I was hitting the right tone. And then I thought I should just move on to a different topic, but this is my, I guess, let's say final attempt to try and say what I feel like saying about coronavirus. And it's kind of like maybe a dead horse at this point because obviously it's all we're really thinking about, or mostly anyway, these days. But time has has passed and I feel like we've digested all the information, um, you know, that is really important. And I don't really know if I can say anything new, but I still want to think things through because I do think it makes sense to contextualize what we're experiencing appropriately. What I mean by that is that, you know, there are so many ways to approach this topic of the coronavirus. There's obviously the scientific way and, you know, the expertise on what this virus is, how it is passed along, what we can do to help ourselves, etc. And I'm going to assume that people have basically educated themselves on that. I know that for me, a big breakthrough with my feelings about the virus was when I was really empowered through education from doctors and scientists about being hygienic, keeping your hands clean, not touching your face when going out, not breathing in the air particles and droplets from other people, especially for long periods of time. And once I had that kind of knowledge, I've basically felt totally chill about this virus. But that's met with the hysteria, right? The, the constant barrage of negative news and overly cautious thinking that we're living in, especially in the USA, and I assume in most parts of the world at this point. And my reaction to that has been a little more, I don't want to say hostile, but I am quite anti-authority and I don't like to be told what to do or what to think. So I have kind of taken on that more like civil liberties angle and I feel a little insensitive doing that. And I've been checked by some friends and family and acquaintances that maybe it's not the right time to like voice that. And of course now it's getting politicized. So it's, it's like a Republican agenda thing to be skeptical of the measures against the coronavirus, you know. And I guess it might even be Trump who is parroting this kind of thought that we don't want the cure to be worse than the disease. And if I'm honest, I think that right now. I'm recording this in April. So we've been doing this for about six weeks almost. And I've gone through different feelings about that, had different thoughts. And I kind of started off a little not tense, but like angry and frustrated that the world was canceling 
society. And it's kind of funny that I would feel that way because actually I'm privileged enough to kind of already live like this already. You know, I don't have a nine to five job that I can't go to or have to do from home. You know, my freelancing is definitely trickier, but I'm stuck at my parents' house in California and it's definitely not the worst place to be. In fact, it might even be the best place to be. Uh, so it's not so bad for me, but nonetheless, just ideologically speaking, I don't like that so many people's livelihoods are now at stake. And this is like the economics of it, right? So there are all these different angles and lately I've just been feeling more chilled out. It's like, whatever happens is going to happen, you know? You can't control the policies that are being made. We're not even voting for the kind of people we want to be making these decisions. Not until the fall when we have our presidential election, which will probably be about this by and large. And it's just funny because of how divided America feels. And I guess it is. But I don't necessarily see it as being divided traditionally between Democrat and Republican. I myself would never vote for a Republican. And yet I feel more sympathy when Donald Trump says that he wants to like get America back into, you know, normalcy and wants to get the economy ready. Like that doesn't sound villainous to me. That sounds like a totally valid goal. And he was just, you know, mocked for saying that, you know, like he was some sort of idiot that he could ever imagine that happening. And yet here we are just after Easter and the curve definitely in California has definitely been flattened. New York has peaked in terms of how many beds and cases they get on a daily basis. And it seems okay, doesn't it? It sounds weird to even say that because of course you look outside and things are not quote okay, everything is closed. But it's also beautiful where I am. The weather, you know, it's, it's turning spring and even towards summer and it feels nice. It feels actually really pleasant to go outside and keep your social distance and keeping safe, definitely. But to see, it's like such a weird disconnect. Like things seem fine. Things seem totally fine. Now, of course, things are probably not fine in ICUs and in hospitals where medical professionals are stressed. And so I guess that's like what we're supposed to be keeping in mind constantly. <laughs> and that's why we're doing this for their sake. And also for, you know, old and vulnerable and weakened people who are most at risk to catch this disease and have a hell of a time with it and maybe die. And we're always supposed to keep this in our mind. And it's just strange to me that now, suddenly, we have to think about that stuff. There is suffering all the time, right? There are stressful jobs, there is death, there are diseases, there are accidents, every day, all day, somewhere. And if you open your heart to that, it might even be hard to ever close it because it's such a it's a profound feeling to get connected to the suffering of the universe. And I think it's kind of cool that we're being tasked with that. But I also think it's not fair. I don't know. I guess I guess I want to be sensitive to 
people's personal lives, people that might be affected by this, when you know somebody that's had this and suffered or died, that's heavy. And it's just like anything in life. If somebody has cancer or if somebody was arrested or whatever kind of plight falls on people, it becomes difficult to talk about or to make a joke about. And that makes sense to me. But I also think that those who are doing the suffering or the meditating on pain don't get to police the other people that aren't. I don't think that's cool to do that. So I'm living my life here and I'm not occupying my thoughts totally with that negativity. What good does that do me? I'm reading all the news that I need to consume and seeing how my social circles are responding with all the typical memes of flattening the curve and staying home and all these platitudes that we just kind of signal our virtue by saying. And that's, I guess, part of our nature, or at least part of our nurture. And I don't want to hate on that because most of us are doing that. But I think there has to be room for nuance and for gray area. You know, when we tell each other to stay home, we end up feeling guilty for opening the front door and stepping outside and walking down the street, you know? But there is no harm to do that. Not really. It's fine. And maybe I'm speaking from a place of privilege in the suburbs right now, where when I walk outside, it actually does seem kind of busy. Like I live in a, my parents live in a neighborhood where, you know, everyone drives. You don't really see people walking around in normal life, but now you do because it's their only opportunity to get some fresh air, which they should do. And so it actually looks kind of populated. And if you look at any park in a city, it looks full and you think, oh, this is bad. Like everyone is not being respectful, not being safe and sanitized or what have you, but they probably are, right? They're probably confined to their own little groups, their own couples, you know, their own housemates. And they're just taking in the sun as they can. And what's so wrong with that? And I'm looking back on my own knee-jerk, rebellious take on the shelter-in-place orders. And I'm wondering why I don't like that. And it's only because it's a dictate. Otherwise, I think it's awesome. I think this is really cool that so many people are now getting to experience life the way I'm fortunate enough to experience generally, which is to wake up on my schedule, to hang out in my pajamas as long as I want to, to just relax and you know tackle home projects or hobbies to bond with the people closest to me, to not be stressed out and exhausted all the time. And I'm hoping that everybody gets to do that now. But I also understand that that's probably not the case. Of course, people with families don't have it easy in terms of just free time and relaxation because families take work. Kids, I mean, babies specifically. And of course, people who live paycheck to paycheck, who work 
difficult jobs for not very much money are definitely stressed right now. People are losing work. People are being furloughed. And that's like a big deal. And I'm a little surprised that that's so politicized. It's almost like if you're worried about workers and paychecks, you're insensitive because old people are dying. It's such a weird battle that we're creating. And I don't understand why it's so political. And it makes me want to go back to Germany where I actually reside officially, where I have my health care and my apartment. And I want to remind myself again why I moved to Germany where the culture might be a little more mature, I'm thinking, where these kind of issues aren't competing with each other. You can be worried about people's livelihoods and people's health at the same time. It's not one or the other, the way it is kind of set up in the USA. So I think that's really strange. But here's my biggest issue. And this is kind of why I want to record this. Even for somebody like me, who is largely unaffected by this virus, and by that I mean no one close to me has it. Actually, I have to take that back. Plenty of people close to me have had it, or at least assume they've had it, and have survived. I don't know anyone close to me that's died from this. I know vulnerable people. I'm staying with my parents who are, you know, seniors, so they're technically in a vulnerable group. And I'm really watching myself and making sure whenever I leave the house to get groceries or whatever, that I'm being very mindful of germs and this virus and how it could travel from, you know, this uh, shopping cart handle to my skin, into my body, and to my parents. So I'm very conscious on a personal level of hygiene and safety. But what I resent, what I really resent, is that I have not hugged my parents in six weeks. I have not hugged anybody or shaken anybody's hand in six weeks. I have obviously not kissed or had sex with anybody in six weeks. And I have people in my life, friends from my hometown, with whom I'm kind of quarantining with, so to speak. I do see some people in very controlled ways and socialize. I'm maintaining a social life to a degree with, you know, half a dozen people tops. And I, that matters to me. I don't feel bad for doing that. I don't feel like I'm overly rebellious to do that. And I don't feel careless to do that. I feel good to see my friends and watch movies and talk about all this and have a drink while maintaining a socially safe distance. But all these people are healthy. We're healthy people. And we don't touch each other. We do not touch each other anymore. I think that's something to mourn. That's a big deal that we don't have human touch anymore. For those of you that are in couples that share beds still, I envy you because 
somehow you get to touch each other still, presumably. And your children, you get to still touch, especially if you're, you know, the parent of a very young child who needs touch. But we all need touch. It's not just babies, is it? And I think it's crazy that even somebody like me, who people think of as a rebellious, caution to the wind kind of person, who is kind of sick of all this authoritarian, sheltering in place, staying home and doing nothing, even I am not comfortable to touch anybody. It's in my head, it's under my skin. I have been indoctrinated, like we all have, to not do that sort of thing. But you have to wonder why. I mean, I just look around, you know, my dad likes to get his groceries from Rayleigh's, which is kind of an independent supermarket just down the street. And we go late at night. Sometimes I go alone, but oftentimes my dad will come with me and I'm, you know, telling him to obviously keep distance, not touch anything, etc. But we're in a grocery store. We're touching products. We're putting those products into a bag or a cart. We're going to the cash register. We're either self-checking out, which is kind of a compact space, or we're talking to a person, there is a glass there, but suddenly you're around people, you know? It's not like six feet or two meters is actually the distance between you and other people all the time. My mom likes to get her groceries from Costco, the warehouse. We were just there this weekend and it was busy. It was busy. I mean, they're controlling how to enter they're trying to crowd control it, and they're definitely keeping things clean, which is great. But there are plenty of times in that warehouse store when we were close to other people. And you think, if I can be close to other people here, why am I shamed for being close to other people in a park? Why are we judging each other for being in a park, outdoors, in the open air, under trees, in sunlight? And yet we're not shamed for being at the grocery store. Why do we say, oh, the grocery store, that's fine because it's essential, but enjoying the weather and being outside, that's not essential. How dare you? Go back inside. I don't like that. I think that that's weird to think because people need the outdoors. Even a city person like myself, I want nature. I want parks. I love that I'm in a yard, that I have some greenery and some light built into this house that I'm in. When I go back to my apartment in Berlin, I will not have that. I will miss that. I will want to leave my flat, walk down the street, down the narrow sidewalk, full of other people, to the park, also full of people thinking the same thing as me. I need some sun today. And you do. You also need love. You need affection. And somehow, even though my parents are healthy, even though I'm healthy, we don't think we can give each other physical affection. That is insidious, and I don't even know how to break it. Dating is another issue here, or being in a relationship. I think it's funny because let's, let's propose a situation in which you meet somebody in February and you go out on a date and it's nice 
and maybe you think this is somebody you could actually date regularly. And then coronavirus hits and you're told to shelter in place, be alone, stop being social, no more bars, no more restaurants. Fair enough, maybe these are dangerous places. No more concerts or movies, makes sense. Those are very close quarters where you can cough on each other. But now you can't go on that date. But if you suddenly decided to be a couple and live together, you could? You could be together if you just said, oh, actually, we're serious, right? But if you're not serious, you can't, right? How do you meet up with somebody casually? It's about trust, isn't it? I think if people can trust each other and know, have you been exposed in the last you know, 48 hours to something that puts you at risk? No, me neither. Great, we can probably meet up. It's that simple. It's a technical issue, right? Do you have the virus? Might you have the virus? No, no, very doubtful. Okay, good enough. I can handle that. I'm willing to be next to you. And if I'm next to you and you're healthy and chatting it up and not coughing, I could probably be within a foot of you. I could probably get within centimeters of you and it would be fine. It reminds me of being a teenager and losing my virginity to my girlfriend in the 90s, coming off of the AIDS epidemic. We were two straight virgins and we were worried about AIDS. We were worried about AIDS. That was the effect of our sex education. I think it's good for teenagers to have some fear with sex. I think that's a healthy fear because sex is a big deal in a lot of ways. But being afraid of AIDS is patently absurd for two straight virgins, for two virgins, period. But we were, and I feel similar now, standing next to a buddy in my hometown who is clearly healthy. And we might even think, you know, in January, I got kind of, I felt really weird. I might've even had it then. We might even have antibodies, oh well. Bye, no handshake, no hug. Make sure not to touch each other. Why are we so paranoid, right? Doesn't that sound like paranoia? I think this is the thing that I'm most curious about right now. There are some other points I wanna hit because I do think it makes sense to break down coronavirus real quickly into various ways of thinking. You obviously have the personal health aspect about how this virus can compromise your body, give you the following symptoms, the cough, the fever, the aches and pains, and the difficulty breathing. That difficulty breathing could be life-threatening and send you, hopefully, in an ambulance to the hospital. And a ventilator hopefully works and keeps your lungs going. And hopefully you make it out. But if you're really compromised, maybe you don't. That's the personal health issue. And then there's the societal health issue where you take that phenomenon of getting sick and you multiply it by society, which 
you know, it could overwhelm the healthcare industry. It could overpopulate hospitals. It could overtax staff. It could put too much strain on that staff by them getting sick and having to take off work. It could, you know, stress our equipment, PPE, and it could be bad. And that's what Northern Italy went through. So those are the two things that are obviously mostly on people's minds and in the news is these health issues, personal and societal. And then you have the economics. You have your personal economics. Can you afford to not work? Can you work from home? Do you have that kind of job? Is enough work coming in? Can you make rent next month and the month after that? How much savings do you have? How much does your life have to change now? How fair is that? In what country you are in, how much assistance are you getting, right? Is your work guaranteeing your paycheck? Is your government guaranteeing an income? So then there's that personal issue of economics, which for most people I know is a bigger deal than their health. Most people I know, my parents even included in that, worry more about long-term economic health than the short-term illness. Then you have societal economics, right? That personal thing multiplied by all of society, which is essentially the stock market, the housing market, and all of our consumption, which is obviously going way down. And from my utopian, you know, minimalist point of view, it's kind of cool that we're consuming less, we're buying just kind of the things we need, you can still buy other things on Amazon or the internet for other things. I've bought a photo scanner with my mom. We're scanning tons of photos. That's a cool project to do. We were able to buy that even though the stores are closed. But generally speaking, consumption is way down because money is way down because work is way down. And that is a big deal. And if I was the president of a country, I would probably be concerned about that. And I think it's okay to be concerned about that. I don't think it's insensitive. I actually think it's compassionate to be concerned about that. Health, economy, culture, everything's canceled. And I'm not talking about cancel culture here. I'm talking about canceled culture where, you know, my dad is a, a big fan of this local symphony and culture center here in Davis, actually. And he can't go to those anymore. He was going as much as he could until the season was canceled. But obviously, it doesn't make sense to sit in a chair right next to somebody, right in front of and behind somebody else, watching an orchestra play music for two hours. Fair enough. That's canceled. Sports. My dad would love to watch the LA Dodgers start their season and win the World Series as they should this year. And for the Houston Astros to get booed as they should this year, or for the NBA to continue. All that's canceled. And you start thinking like, why, right? I mean, especially baseball, it's a kind of game that doesn't need a lot of proximal contact with people. Basketball, that's trickier. But couldn't these games be played to empty arenas and stadiums? Couldn't some other arrangement be made? Does everything have to be straight up canceled 
completely. It's a little crazy to cancel culture, you know? I mean, speaking as a writer and artist, this is a very interesting opportunity to create work. I don't know how many of us are doing that. I think a lot of us might be taking this as an opportunity to just relax and rest like everybody else. But of course, a lot of interesting things might come out of this in terms of art. Definitely books and movie scripts, probably paintings and photography. So it's interesting because it, it's, it's an incubation period. I think probably a lot of stuff can come out of this, but at the very moment, nothing is happening. I don't know if I care so much personally, like it's okay for me to not go to an art gallery for two months. It's not the end of my world, but it's a big deal that it's literally not possible. And, you know, I think at first when this hit, most of us thought it's a sacrifice. It's what must be done. We must prioritize health. And now as it's carrying on and the virus is not, decimating society in the least, don't we have to start wondering what's going on here? Why can't we literally live our lives? So I just think it's interesting to flag that the things that we cancel do have a value and we have to consider how to bring them back and if it's even possible to bring them back. That's culture. And then you have the more, let's say, ideologies involved, like freedom, right? It's hard to feel free right now. I don't want to give credence to these crowds of protesters who are holding up signs, chanting for their civil liberties, mainly because I don't think that they're real. I think that these are phony. I think these are fraudulent. I don't think that this is a grassroots issue. I think it's probably a more of an astroturfed issue like the Tea Party, where certain interests are financing this kind of outrage. And this is what makes it political, right? Because these are like right-wing conservative nuts that are chanting for their civil liberties. Civil liberties is a leftist liberal agenda point. I have to remind us of that. Civil liberties is a liberal agenda. And yet it's liberals by and large who are very happy to cancel everything and wait this out. It might have something to do with affluence. There might be a correlation between those of us that think quote liberally and can afford to wait this out for a couple months, maybe several months. That's an interesting thing to think about. There are all these angles on the coronavirus. And I hear people getting angry about this virus, getting frustrated, getting annoyed with the uncertainty and the fear involved with the future. But it's not the virus, is it? It's society's reaction to the virus. And I think it's warranted to wonder if our actions for a cure are worse than the disease itself. And I don't wanna be shamed for wondering that. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this disease will mutate and it will kill me and everybody I know. 
maybe. But, you know, watching movies, <laughs> it really makes me doubt that. It really makes me wonder how bad can a virus be? How bad can a public health crisis be? I might do separate podcasts on these issues, but if you watch Outbreak on Netflix, you know how bad a disease can ravage a society. It can wipe out a village through its drinking water. It can infect you in hours so that you're sweating and pussing with pustules and scabs on your face as your skin rots away within 24 hours. I'll be afraid of that one, you know? I'll be afraid when it's a death sentence when you catch it and that you can catch it by opening your door. The HBO series Chernobyl is amazing and I think I will dedicate an episode to that. Radiation poisoning rots your innards away. You are going to suffer a violent death, definitely, by breathing in the air. I'll be afraid of that. I do think it's important to be ready, to be prepared for the big one, which is probably inevitable. I think America's not prepared. I think Trump made us even less prepared than we could otherwise have been by canceling a pandemic response team before this happened. I think he's a poor leader. I think we do need to get our ducks in a row, so to speak, and be ready when something really existentially threatening comes. Is it blasphemous of me to wonder if the coronavirus is that existential threat? I don't think it is. I'm not a crazy right-wing lunatic. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, though I do enjoy reading conspiracies. I just don't see much evidence for this being this terrifying thing in society. I don't live thinking that way. I know that people die of heart disease, you know, way more than people die of coronaviruses in general, like the flu. And yet I still eat french fries and pizza all the time. I love them. When my doctor tells me how dangerous it is and that my uh, arteries are getting clogged, I plan to clean up my act and I don't want to pick out on this stuff in general because it makes me feel fat. I am responsible for gauging that for myself. I know that bike helmets save lives. I know that if I am riding a bike and I crash without a helmet and I jump off that bike head first into the concrete, I can die. It's my choice to not wear one and I don't want to be told that I have to wear one. I'm willing to take these risks in my life because I don't run my life algorithm around these minuscule risks that can kill me. I don't live that way. And I don't like being told to live that way. If you want to live that way, okay, I can respect it. I know that people 
have different degrees of caution that they take. I, I celebrate that. I think it's great that we have that diversity and different strokes for different folks, you know? But I just think it's weird that now we all have to be like that. And the ones that aren't are mocked and ridiculed, like the party goers in Florida or these protesters in Huntington Beach. Maybe they are idiots. Maybe they are super dense. You know, the ones that get me are these churches, these mega churches of Christians, other religions probably, who insist on still congregating and who mock the disease as something only a sinner would get. And then you, of course, these pastors and priests get the disease, right? It does bother me in those cases that people can be so flippant and disrespectful and the audacity, right, of questioning that science to that degree and to think that you are invincible. It does get to me in those instances, but it's a sliding scale. It's a spectrum. I put those churches on the far end of ridiculous, dangerous stupidity. I put those Huntington Beach protesters less so. There's a reason they're upset. There's a reason they feel put upon like their liberties are being taken because in some places those are, they are being taken. Not in LA, probably, but other places. There are leaders that are seizing their opportunities to become authoritarian. Trump is not one of them. We know that now. We really do know that Trump is not a dictator because he could do way more than he's doing. Way more. I don't want to be grouped with these people just because I might wonder out loud, it's probably okay to go out and have dinner with somebody if the dining room is spread out and super cleaned. You know, it's probably okay to take a walk to the river with somebody. It's probably okay to hug my parents. I don't like that my own conscience has to judge me. <laughs> I guess that's a good thing. I mean, we, it's good to have that conscience, but I just wonder how we're training it here and if it's the right thing to do because there's more to life than a virus that makes it scary to breathe a little bit, you know, that kills, I'm gonna put it out there, 0.6% of people that get it. That's the number that I've heard from the get-go and that I'm kind of sticking with. I think it'll be less than 1% death rate. Not that death rate is the be-all and end-all. Not that those deaths don't matter. Not that they, quote, would have died anyway. Just that those numbers don't dictate how I want to live my life. It's tricky, you know, because if you just rewind a year ago, you can be self-righteous about anything. People have their causes, eating animals, smoking, throwing away trash or recycling it. All these kind of issues are opportunities for people to judge each other and to point their fingers and to say that you're living wrong and how could you do that when people are starving here and there, 
you know, people are getting killed there, no education over here, you know, why would you have this much food when somebody else, or why would you buy that kind of clothes if this and that, and all these kind of things are opportunities for us to tell each other how to live. It's exciting because society takes all kinds, and I like that kind of dialogue where you can stand up for your beliefs and be challenged, you know, and think, why is this person doing that? Maybe I should do that. Mm, maybe not. Maybe I do like doing it my way. That's society. We don't really have that right now. We don't really have the other side of this. We only have Dr. Fauci. And if you don't listen to Dr. Fauci, what's wrong with you? <laughs> what are you thinking? It's Dr. Fauci, CDC. How can you not take his advice to heart? Even if he's quoted as saying something like, I want to be accused for an overabundance of caution. I want to be overly protective of people. Of course he wants that. He works in disease control. <laughs> That's not the only thing in life. Maybe when you're hearing me say this, I do sound a little, I don't know what. What's the word? Conspiratorial, radical, you know, controversial, contrarian. Maybe I am. I'm not aiming to do that. I'm aiming to just think through what we're experiencing and how to balance my goals with all this and what kind of life to lead. And it's easy enough for me to just, at this point, step back and be like, okay, no life, no, <laughs> no FOMO, which is great. I don't worry about missing out on anything anywhere. Would I rather be in the Bay Area or LA or Berlin or New York? Doesn't matter. Nothing's happening anywhere. But deeper than that, this is having profound effects on how we live. And I think it's important that we have some say in how that goes and that we don't just accept whatever, no more classrooms or no more shopping in stores, everything is online, or you are now tracked on your phone everywhere you go because that's how we contain diseases. On that civil liberties tip, it's very hard to get rights back after you lose them. That was once a liberal talking point. Now, for some reason, it's a conservative talking point. Don't really understand why. But I have a feeling it has to do with hating Trump. <laughs> And, you know, I look at that guy, buffoonish and blind as he seems to be, and I just chuckle to myself. I don't put a lot of investment in what he says or what he does. I know he is the president, but I haven't lived in the U.S. during his tenure, happily. And to me, he's just an egocentric guy who wants to make his money and wants to be remembered a certain way, maybe, and doesn't want everyone to freak out and lose their shit over what he is seeing as somewhat benign. And I don't hate him for it. I don't hate him for it. That's my take. Just thought I should get that out there just to maybe provoke 
other ways of thinking about this, maybe to allow you to admit that you might have some of these thoughts. You know, I know it's hard to even say them because you just never know what your friend is thinking about that. You know, we assume that we're on the same level eye to eye with our friends, but I found that my friends are up and down the spectrum of concern on this. And I can appreciate that some of my friends are really freaked out because of their own health issues or their own sense of urgency in life. But I really appreciate my friends that aren't freaking out, even if they don't give me a hug. <laughs> All right, guys, I'll leave it there. Now that I have this one off my back, I'll try out another topic next time. This is Keith thinking about the coronavirus. Until next time, ciao.